What's up, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of Viking Vibes, the St. Joseph by the Sea High School Experience. Again, a podcast and web series dedicated to all things St. Joseph by the Sea High School. Today, not only marks our first virtual interview, but it also marks a historic moment for us in the podcast, as well as for St. Joseph by the Sea High School, because today's alumni spotlight, we have someone very special, someone who I had the privilege to know back in the day when he was currently in St. Joe's. We have with us today, C graduate class of 1998, former military officer, graduate of West Point, vice president of Goldman Sachs, and the current president and CEO of the National Hockey League's Florida Panthers. That's a mouthful. So with us today, we have Maddie Caldwell. Matt, how are you, brother? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. I love hearing Maddie. People don't call me Maddie as much anymore, but that was such a stat. It brings me back to my roots. That's what I remember. That's why I mean, I remember, again, you were the senior and I was the freshman, but I remember on the football field and the coaches and everybody, that was it. Yeah. So can I call you Maddie? Or absolutely, do you prefer Maddie? please. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not very formal. That's great. Gotcha. So first and foremost, thank you so much for taking the time to, to be with us because I know I can imagine what your schedule is like. And before we get into all the great accomplishments and successes you've had in life, <laughs> let's let's start at the beginning quickly. So talk about the the, the Maddie Caldwell origin stories. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So yeah, grew up in Staten Island. My mom and dad raised us there. I'm the youngest of four. Loved growing up in Staten Island. I was in the South Shore, Tottenville area. Obviously went to St. Joseph by the Sea. My two brothers went to Monsignor Farrell. My sister went to St. Joe's. So I followed on her step. You're not allowed to say that name. I know. I know. High school. Yeah, no, was I was good. a renegade. I was like, no way. I'm not going to Farrell. I'm going to St. Joe's. Monsignor Insaldi was the principal. Father Riley was one of my teachers, wonderful men. And Rudy Tafiri, sadly just passed away a little while ago. I was our dean. Kathy Kelly, I don't know if you know that name. She was yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just wonderful people. And those folks that I mentioned all had such big influences on my life. And it was Father Insaldi who, during my freshman year, pulled me in and brought up the idea of possibly going to West Point. And I had heard of West Point as a military academy, very prestigious school, but I had no ties to the military. My, my dad was a New York City cop for 35 years, loved serving. God bless you. Yep, loved serving the city. And my mom helped raise all four kids. And when Monsignor Insaldi was the one that put that in my ear my freshman year, and I started to research and get into it. And I was fortunate enough to get in. I can never get in today. It's become even so much more competitive, but it's a huge accomplishment. You downplay it and I get yeah. it, but that's a huge accomplishment. And I don't have the stats on this, but I'm sure you remember, you were probably one of the few at that time, or maybe one of the first or second ever to even attend that university coming out of C, right? Yeah, the, the yeah. I think if I remember, I'm not sure if there was anyone from St. Joe's prior to me. That's, well, there you go. It's official. I remember, it's not. No one's going to fact check me, I promise. <laughs> yeah. You were the first no, the first C grad yeah, to go to West Point. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident about that. I remember Monsignor Insaldi. That was part of his speech to me. He could be the first grad to get in. And there's, there's typically maybe one or two people from all of Staten Island that gets into one of the academies. West Point's one of them for the Army. Annapolis is very prestigious as well, which is for the Navy. So, yeah, it was a grueling process. You have to get a letter of recommendation yeah. from a, a local congressman. And you have to do a physical test. The application itself is very intense with essays and high criteria to get in, obviously good grades, SAT scores, but West Point definitely prides itself on all the extracurricular activities they expect. They, I remember them even brag about how many folks that had like a perfect SAT score that they went up rejecting because 
they didn't. Right. Like, that's how high the bar really. Yeah, exactly. Now, by the way, if you get a perfect SAT score, that's awesome too. I'm not downplaying right. that, but it's not just about academics. It's all about how you can lead soldiers in combat, how you can perform in, in the community, and whether it's athletics or music or arts, something just outside the books. They're looking, they're looking for a well-rounded individual. It's Absolutely. not always about what you can do in the books. So while we're on the topic of C, talk about, obviously, football was yeah. something that was near and dear to your heart, but talk about other extracurriculars and other activities yeah. you were involved with back in St. Joe's. Yeah. Yeah. I also played basketball and baseball. So those were the big three, if you will. The triple threat. The triple threat. Yeah. I wasn't as good in baseball and basketball that was better in, in football. And when I started St. Joe's, I just started their football program like three or four years before yeah. we came in. But I think our class, Pete Tronalone, Steve Melanti, really helped put St. Joe's on the map. And we got to play Farrell for the first time. We beat St. Peter's. These were all like in the early days of all these programs. Farrell had been around forever, but St. Peter's and St. Joe's were just starting programs. So these are memories that are near and dear to my heart. They're really foundational to everything I've done. And Buddy Watson was our coach. I don't know if you remember Buddy, Honda, Joe Ryan, just these yeah. names that will stick with me for the rest of my life. And all my friends at St. Joe's and the experience I had there was it was just a building block for everything I've done in my life. And yeah, it's always fond memories. So when you reached out, I was excited to, to chat with you. So you were talking about the great stuff that happened at St. Joe's. Talk about the transition now being from St. Joe's to then going to West Point and then the transition thereafter. Because it's not, for anyone, people, I don't know anyone who's not familiar with what West Point is and what it does, but if anyone doesn't understand what it is, it's not a traditional experience. Right. Talk about going from classroom to then armed forces, right? I mean, yes. That's... No, it's a great question. And by the way, just to round out the extracurriculars, I only talked about the sports, but I also did, I was an altar boy, and then I wound up running for class president too. So yeah, I was the class president of my class. And also, you weren't a holy name guy? Come on. I can't imagine you not being a holy name I was. Guy. Yeah, holy name society. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely. So I just wanted to make sure it wasn't just sports, it was religious, and then kind of school politics as well. But right. yeah, the transition for me was very tough. I was a local Staten Island kid, and I came from a cop family, but really didn't know what I was getting into and super ignorant, not in a negative way. It just was like, hey, I did well in school. I work hard. But I'll figure out the military thing. But it was eye-opening. <laughs> I showed up on the first day and they warn you about it, but people yelling and screaming on your face. And they brought us into the, a football, the football stadium at West Point and we were all on one side of the stadium and a general officer came out and made this beautiful speech about the history of West Point and past presidents, presidents have come to the institution, famous generals, famous business leaders yeah. said, you have, you have, I think it was 60 seconds, 60 or 90, take it back. You have, right. 60, you have 60 seconds to say goodbye to your parents. It was like very specific. Wow. And then like, you could just hear the tears and like, it was, and that's it. Yeah. Like this beautiful speech. And then it was like, you got 60 seconds. All right. And then you walk in single file line, like across the football field. So you, you know, right. all the families are on one side and you go down, like, couple of stairs so people can't really see it see and there's upperclassmen three classes right so this is the freshman class you have sophomores juniors seniors yep. yelling screaming making you do push-ups jumping jacks <laughs> and uh, nothing nothing like bad no, no physical no like harm or anything but just like pressure right. stress you sweat you know, within an hour i was like saying to myself what the hell did i get myself into and yeah what are we doing yeah yeah <laughs> they really my father always said it best they did you really kind of break you down and build you back up, right? Because a lot of the folks yeah. coming in are football quarterbacks or team presidents or top of their class, and they probably have a little bit of an ego, 17, 18 right. years old. They think who they are. Maybe they were the cool one in class. And 
they want to make sure that you're going to be working on a team now, the military and the institution is more important than yourself. And they want to set, kind of put you in your place, if you will. Boot camp was intense. Like those first, you know, I graduated C like June 14th, 1998. I remember the day because I, it was like two weeks. I was going to say, remember the day. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Only because I remember my first day at West Point, which was June right. 29th. So it was like two weeks prior to that. Quick. That's quick. Yeah, exactly. It was a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So it was like. 18 years old, graduated two weeks later. I was in boot camp and I was like, wow, what did I get myself into? It was intense. And I remember four, so June 29th, June 30th, first couple of days of July, like first four or five days, they had you running three, four o'clock in the morning. They're waking you up. I remember the first morning they played Guns N' Roses, Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, there you go. And, Fitting, right? Yeah. Shook me up for sure. And then on 4th of July, they brought us all into an auditorium. And we, what's the famous song? Proud to be an American. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And they played that and they made some good. So they did a good job of beating you down, building you back up, but then also giving you some pride in the country and pride in what why we're so blessed to live in this great place. So it was nice. Yeah. But, it's but, a lot different than football camp. Um, you, everything you're saying, I just equate to football camp because that was like the most difficult thing I've ever done. And that pales in comparison to what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, so if you, yeah. everything running suicides was tough. You yeah. Know, what, you, what you were going through was a lot different. Yeah. So now you're there and you're going through the paces, right? And then talk about the graduation and the sense of accomplishment and pride and then taking the next step into your career. Yeah. When I went to West Point, I, I was intrigued and excited about the military, but I was probably more interested in the academics, how great of a leadership institution it was. I knew right. I had to do my five-year commitment, but I was thinking more long-term about possibly what I would do after and all. But then my senior year was 9-11. By September 11, 2001 was my senior year. And September 12th, the next day, a very famous four-star general took all the seniors, brought us into an auditorium and told us, said, you guys are going to graduate in June and you're going to go to either Iraq or Afghanistan. And at the point, at the time, like nobody, people didn't even know who knocked down the Twin Towers. It was all speculation, but there was not right. real evidence of, of Al-Qaeda or Bin Laden. There was rumors and stuff, but there was, just wasn't a lot of attention around it. Come, come June 1st, 2002, President of the United States, George Bush at the time, came, spoke at our graduation in front of all our families, congratulated us, but also announced that the U.S. would be starting, would be commencing combat operations against countries that they think are harboring terrorism. I, right after graduation, I shipped off to Germany. That's where I was stationed. We, the U.S. Has, still has bases all over the world. At the time, they still had bases in Germany. So I went there and the Iraq invasion had not kicked off yet, but the U.S. forces were still in Kosovo. I don't know if you remember like Bosnia, Kosovo, there was a bunch of yeah. after the Berlin Wall fell. And so I went to Kosovo, which was much more peaceful. But then once the Iraq invasion had occurred, they pulled us out of Kosovo and started training us up. The unit that I was in joined the Iraq war, like the kind of the second phase. It's called Operation Iraqi Freedom too, like the second year of the war. Lots of pride in, in going through that experience, four years at West Point. But it was, I didn't, when I signed up for it, I, I knew war was a possibility, but I didn't realize it was going to come so quickly. But definitely proud of my service. And then and, and, and I wound up loving the military. Probably the toughest decision that I've ever made was the decision to get out of the military. Cause I, really? That's uh, interesting. Yeah, because it, it was... It becomes a part of you, right? Once yeah, it it's something it becomes part of your like DNA, and it is like the most esteemed institution in the United States. If you're sitting on yeah. a plane and you're 24 years old, this is a true story. This has happened to me plenty of times. And someone says, "Oh, what are you doing? Where are you going? Oh, I'm flying home from Germany. 
going to see my family in New York. Oh, what are you doing in Germany? Oh, I serve in the military. Like the reaction from people, oh my God. And it's not, it, certainly it's a thank you for your service, but it's also, wow, you volunteered, you dedicated your life, you put yourself in harm's way. And it's a real incredible feeling. So it was hard. I, I deployed a lot. I was in Kosovo, Iraq. I was overseas in Germany. But ultimately for me, I, I got to a point where, you know, I, I knew it would be tough to start a family, be in the military, be in yeah. Deployed all the time. I just had other goals and things that I wanted to do. I ultimately got Obviously, thank you for your service. I speak yeah. on behalf of everyone at St. Joe's and everyone here in Staten Island. So, we, so it's an amazing story. So now talk about how you took all of that patriotism, <laughs> that sense of pride. I get the leadership part, right? And then how did you translate that into vice president of Goldman Sachs? Yeah. What, what happened in between? What happened in between that? Yeah, I have all these crazy transitions. And by the way, I didn't plan it all out this way. It's not like I went to St. Joe's. No, just tell people you planned it out that way. It works better. Just, yeah, this is exactly how I wanted it to be. And here I am. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's always good to plan and have goals, but then you work really hard. I was going to say work your asses off, but pause. And I said, all right, right, you can say that. And then you start to see where your strengths are and you can adjust from there. But when I was getting out of the army, there was a lot of recruiters. There was these folks that loved getting these West Point grads, bringing them into corporate America. And but for me, I said to myself, I do have all this great leadership experience, but I'd love to go back to graduate school. Your education is foundational to everything I've done. And I already have my college bachelor of science from West Point, but I want to go back right. to grad school. I want to get my MBA, get a master's in business. I was able to get into Northwestern, the Kellogg School of Management, which nice. is a big MBA program. And when I did the MBA program, Goldman Sachs was one of the big recruiters. So I got... I actually did law and business. So I got an MBA and a JD. So why not? Just why not law and business? Just do both. Yeah, law school was damn. <laughs> that was the toughest academic experience I've ever done. That was the most difficult. And I worked one summer at a law firm and I wasn't very good at, I was at my desk reading all the time. And I remember my mom called me one time at my office line. And I, when I answered the phone, she said, is everything okay? Because it was like so quiet. It was like I was in the library right. all the time. She said, that's not really your personality. I was like, no, nah, and by the way, I think law school is great and the, you know, being a lawyer is a great profession. But for me, I wanted to go more on the business routes. Goldman Sachs was a huge recruiter at Northwestern. They loved that I had obviously the military experience and then had both law and business. I joined their like investment banking, investment management group. And right. it was a total, it was going from the academic world, from the military to the academic world and then ultimately and then- Wall Street. For me, not that I had a finance background, but... I liked that Goldman was a top tier firm. I liked the yeah, challenge. I wanted, I wanted to get into West Point, but I loved that the prestige of West Point had and the challenge. And you start to become the person who you surround yourself with, right? If you look at your five friends or five family members you spend the most time with. I love that quote. I believe that. I love yeah, that. Yeah, you wind up being one of those, some mix of those five. And I, throughout my life, I've been able to go to West Point or Goldman or Kellogg. And I've just tried to surround myself with people that are smarter than me, that yeah. talented than me, more athletic than me, because it, it makes you better. If you have a competitive spirit, you can learn so much from them. Don't get jealous. Don't be insecure. Don't have an ego about it. Know that you can learn from people. So Goldman, I said- The trick is having that humility that you just had, because that's humility, right? That's Being humility. able to say what you just said is something that a lot of people can't do. So yeah. that's where it starts, right there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And when I got to Goldman, there was there was 12 people in our class, like in our starting class of associates. So these are people like right out of grad, there's a like an analyst program out of college. And then these were the right. 12 people in the New York office and people from Harvard and Yale, Kellogg, all these top schools. Of course, yeah. And after a year or two, 
if there was a ranking, I was probably at the bottom of that 12 as far as like performance and how I was doing well with the investments. And because a lot of these folks were in the business world before me, they were analysts at another bank. They just had more experience, it was more their strength. But for me, I was like, if I can perform here and become a high achiever, I can do anything. So by year like using this fuel. By year three or four, I started to get to more of the top of my class and became a vice president. And then ultimately, I helped bring on a very big client to Goldman named Vincent Viola. And Vincent, we call him Vinny. He's very down to earth, just like Maddie. He's from Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course he is. Yeah, went, exactly. Went to West Point, another graduate, which shows the West Point connection. And really well on Wall Street. Became a trader in the early 80s, the New York Mercantile Exchange. And... I helped bring him on as a client at Goldman, and that really made a name for myself, that I was able to get someone of his pedigree to invest with the firm, do more right. business with the firm. So that really put me on the map at Goldman. I got promoted. And then Vinny's, Vinny's become a, a second dad to me, but he's completely changed my life. He sat me down and after a year or so working with him, said, why don't you come join me, leave Goldman, come on my side of the table. So I left Goldman, joined him, and a lot of these very successful people have what's called like a family office, which is right. a company that basically manages all the companies that they own and looks at their investments, manages relationships with the Goldman, JP Morgans. And right. so I joined his family office and I did that for a few years. And then he wound up buying the Florida Panthers hockey team. And it was a massive turnaround situation. It was a team that was at the bottom of the league in the NHL. For any hockey fans out there, it was one of the worst teams in the league. I was near bankruptcy and it really struggled. But Vinny likes these kind of investments where you come in and you buy something on 20, 30 cents on the dollar. You're able to turn it around and bring it of to the ship. So, a different version of MA, just yeah, different absolutely. It's people. It's, you know, right. Absolutely. Yeah. The first year or two that he owned the team, I was more of a, like an owner's rep, like a representation of him. And I was flying from New York to Florida or spending weeks at a time in Florida. But after I started just working hard, making good relationships with the coach and the players and the general manager, he ultimately sat me down and said, I, I know you don't have experience in hockey. It's not like you played or you haven't run a team before, but I have the most faith in you. I, I love you. I trust you. And anything that you don't know technically, you'll learn on the spot. And this was after we had been through like three or so CEOs already. When you're doing turnaround situations, it's hard to find the right people. And then, yeah, of course. Then he doesn't get to where he is in life by waiting around. He's not, no pain. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so in true New York fashion, we moved fast and he named me CEO in 2016. And just to brag about myself, I was the youngest CEO in all of sports, 36 years. See, so you took my quote. I researched that. And I'm only kidding. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> okay. sorry. So talk about that. Let's go back. Because I know sometimes and it's difficult to talk about yourself, right? And for anyone. Because you feel like you're bragging or being boastful. So I want you to be I want you to be open because it's important. Because talk about what that feels like, right? Because there's people listening and watching and, and there's younger adults, there's older adults, there's high school kids that be watching. You always aspire to be. But what does it feel like when you've become, right? So you achieved that pinnacle of being youngest CEO in sports. What does that feel like? Yeah, it was incredibly gratifying. It was intimidating. I, I uh, basically what happened was I was I was at the company for about two years, but like more on a more on like a consultant basis, more on a, a representative of the owner, but not like a day to day executive like running it all. And right. I had worked with 
three different CEOs who were much more experienced and older than me, but they couldn't quite keep up with Vinny's pace, his expectation. <laughs> and Vinny ultimately took me out to dinner in Miami. He was in town with another company, the major public company, and he sat me down with his minority partner and he said to me, he said, listen, this is a massive turnaround situation. We've tried very experienced industry people. I think we need someone that's got a lot of youth and energy that has a different perspective, can think outside the box. And quite frankly, we need winners. And you'll figure out who the right general manager is to build the roster. You'll figure out right. the right coaches. But I need someone that's going to be my representative day to day, that's going to be out in the community, talking to fans, talking to sponsors talking to our local government because they own the building. We run the hockey team, but we also- They're always involved somehow, no matter absolutely. what. They're always involved in something. Yeah. Yeah, it was an incredible feeling, but it certainly, I remember him telling me, I'm doing this, I'm moving forward with it. We're going to sit down. We had a CEO at the time that Vinny was going to basically like move to the board as like a chairman right. and empower. And by the way, I had to make sure that I kept the old CEOs or the one that I was working with. I had to keep a relationship with him because he said, well, who's this young guy coming in and moving me out? But- Given my military experience, when you graduate West Point, you're 22 years old and you're a lieutenant, you're an officer. And I was put right. in front of, at the time, 20 men. It was all male unit, 20 men. Then I got promoted a couple of years later. I had 40 men that were under my command, serving in combat. Many of them were in their 30s and 40s. It was hard as a 23, 24-year-old. And they're all looking at you like, who's this West Point guy? What does he know? He was just in the classroom the last four years. What right. does he know about doing missions, doing land navigation, shooting rifles. Like we've been doing this forever. And it goes both ways. You have to show respect. You have to honor people's experience. You have to listen, get their input. But at the end of the day, you're in charge, right? So if something right. goes wrong, you can't say, oh, the sergeant told me this or the coach told me this. It falls on you. While I would have great respect for these folks that had much more experience than them, I also was very clear, hey, I'm listening to you. I'm going to go with your recommendation here. But in this situation, I'm going to go here. And if they got pissed off or if they started disrespecting me, they had to know at the end of the day, like I'm the boss. And then right. this is, don't judge me by my age or whether or not I was in hockey. And this is the way we're going. So shut your mouth, yeah. get on board or get out of here. So you have to demonstration have demonstration by action, right? Yeah. That's the, that closes the gap immediately because it doesn't matter age, anything experience. Once you demonstrate and put forth action that, they can see yields of results that kind of bridges the gap and makes it equal playing field. Exactly. Exactly. It's, I'm the last guy to walk in and say, Hey, I'm the new boss. Now everyone listen to me. That's not my style. I lead by example. Right. I'm going to work harder than everybody at the company and be here early in the morning. I'm going to outlast people. I'm going to be, I'm going to earn their respect as well. I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear about all the different departments. What are people doing in marketing and sales operations, finance, but if we're not hitting a certain standard, I'm going to set a standard. And, and, you gotta get and we got to get there. If you don't perform, right. I'll help you a little bit. But if you're not getting better, like we're moving on. There's some people that just come in and they're tyrants and they yell and scream. I think that works a little bit, but then over time it gets old. Then there's some people that are really nice and collaborative and, and hug people and just want to get along. And that makes it easy for employees or soldiers or whoever you're leading, but they'll never really respect you long-term. Right. They'll start to take advantage. You need that balance. You need a balance. Yeah. That, that's what I really tried to work on. And I had a lot to learn. I went to owner's meetings and president's meetings with the commissioner of the NHL. And I definitely felt out of place. I definitely felt like a fish out of water. Everybody knew each other. 
I felt like the young son that like the owner just threw the job to. It wasn't an actual son, but it, it felt like they were all questioning, why the hell is this guy here? But as we got better, as they got to know me, as they learned about my background, as I worked hard, did the right thing, I put my head down and go hide. I didn't go like kiss people's ass and, and back down to people. And then obviously the team's performance now the last couple of years, there's a ton of reasons for why we've been successful, but our ownership and the path that we've set and leadership we got on the ground has really got us in the right direction. And now I think anyone would argue the Florida Panthers are one of the top teams in the NHL. We just went to the Stanley Cup last year. Well, that's what I was going to say. That, that was the perfect segue because you were talking about how you came in and the chips were down and was one of the worst teams in the league, et cetera. So talk about, give me the 23 story, like a quick recap of what that was like and where you came from and where you ended up. Yeah. So, yeah. So 23 was interesting. A couple of years before 2023, we had made the playoffs the year before we, like coming out of COVID, we made the playoffs and we lost in the first round. The next year we won the first round of the playoffs, which was the first time the team had won a playoff round of 20 years. We were making progress, but when we lost in the second round, we had a really good hockey team, but we got swept by one of our arch rivals, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And after the sweep, I sat down with the general manager and we said, listen, we're making progress. We should have went further this season. I'm not saying that Rome was built in a day or you had to win the cup right away, but we have to really be honest with ourselves, not be complacent. So we made a couple of moves in the off season. We got a new head coach, which was very controversial. And then we traded one of our big stars for a younger star that had more of a style, more of a gritty defensive style that we thought the team needed. And we got a lot of pushback for that because people said, hey, the last couple of seasons you guys are playing, why did you shake right. it up? But we had faith, we had conviction. And last season we got off to a bad start going into the all-star break. And we were hosting the all-star game last year. We were, we were like seven or nine points, like out of the playoffs. Hockey, yeah. That's a pretty big gap to big deficit yeah yeah had conviction like we were we had faith in what we were doing weren't being blind to it it was a lot like when we looked at the data and we looked at some of the lucky breaks that we weren't getting or the bad breaks we were getting i should say we had a couple of injuries we didn't freak out there was a lot of attention in the media that we screwed up the team and uh actually i had this this is perfect i thought of this someone framed this for me i don't know if you can read it but it said, Bruins are unbeatable. The Panthers are floundering and ageless. Ovechkin can't stop scoring. There you go. So the Bruins are unbeatable. The Panthers are floundering. So this is in January 6th of 2023. So a little over a year ago. And this right. was 538, which is a well-known like blog. I think it's on the New York Times. This is a guy who's like very into like analytics and data. And yep. the Bruins wind up having the best regular season in the history of the NHL. So wow. best record. They broke the record. So going into the playoffs, they're the one seed and they were the biggest favorite to win a Stanley Cup based on a regular season. The Panthers, we squeezed in. We came back the whole second half of the season. We had a lot of grit and we got in as an eighth seed on the last couple of games of the season. And we faced them and we went down 3-1 in the series and came back three straight wins and beat the Bruins. Probably one of the biggest upsets in playoff history, at least in the first couple of rounds. That's a great souvenir to have. You look at that yeah. every morning and you laugh and you say, you know. What a great job. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm sure there's a lot of New York fans, whether Rangers, Giants, Yankees, whoever. We all, you know, New York-Boston rivalry. So it was extra special for me to be yeah. the Bruins. So, yeah, last year was epic. I've never experienced 
so much excitement and adulation and the intensity of those games were amazing. And then we went on to beat Toronto. The Maple Leafs are they're like the New York Yankees of hockey. They're the mecca of hockey. Toronto's huge. We beat the Carolina Hurricanes, which was a really tough team. We unfortunately lost in the cup finals, but we built on that. We got to the top of the mountain, just couldn't get over the top. And now we're having a great season again. We're neck and neck with Boston again, battling with them. And we have every indication to make the playoffs again. So right here live, give me this season's predictions. <laughs> I mean, listen, everybody thinks they're going to win the cup. But I think right. what I would say is this roster, the way the team is playing, the style of play, actually has a better chance to win the cup than I think the team last year. Last year we made right. it there. There were certain times where we might have overachieved, maybe got our goalie played unbelievable. This team's more well-balanced, more depth. It's the same team as last year, but we've just made additions to it. And we've learned a lot being in the Stanley Cup Finals now, but certain types of players that we needed. So we beefed that up. We wish you luck on that. Before we end, because I want to be cognizant of your time, two things I wanted to touch on. I know family is very important. And from what I understand, you're expecting a a child, correct? Yes. Yeah. Third. So congratulations. Talk to us a little bit about family and family life and what's going on in that aspect of your life. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I sometimes get so caught up with talking about all the buzzwords of the career. Family's most important. It's at the top of every list. It all starts with the family that I grew up with. My mom and dad, I was so blessed to have great parents. They weren't perfect. They fought here and there, but they loved their kids. And a very blue collar family. Dad, I mentioned was New York cop. My mom helped raise the kids. My two, my brother and sister are teachers. In, one is in Staten Island, one's in New Jersey. My brother Billy works for Verizon. He's been there 20 years. He's got a great pension and great service there. I grew up in a great family. And then I was I was a bachelor for dated. Nothing wrong with that. Thing. And then I was in the New York City subway in New York working at Goldman and saw the love of my life, my wife, Fernanda, she was, she's from Brazil. She was living, she grew up there and she had a tourist map. She was looking around completely lost on the platform. So being any outgoing, talkative Staten Islander, I said, can I help you? Right, of course. The uh, Staten Island charm. Of course. Yeah. And here we are. Let's see, that was 2000. God, that was 2013. Yeah. So here we are years later. And by the way, we met on the New York city subway she was just visiting and we, we stayed in touch a bit, but then we just lost touch. And then four years later, I went to Brazil for a wedding for totally separate for a good friend of Come mine. On, this is not a true story. Yeah, we yeah, no, I swear. And we reconnected and I was living in Miami at the time. She came visited me and here we are. And I wound up like I wound up proposing to her like on the five year anniversary of when we met in the New York City subway. So she moved her whole life here for me. Our whole family's still in Brazil. We are, we have two kids, a four and a two-year-old. Our four-year-old is Flora, so a baby girl. And, and then our son is two. His name's Pedro. It's named after his named after my wife's father. It was a great guy. Nice. So we have a third, we have a third kid coming. We have a boy, and his name's gonna be Mateo, which is Matthew in Spanish. We're keeping That's awesome. relations. We're living in America and we're raising our family here, but we wanna Make sure our kids, my, my wife only speaks Portuguese to the kids. That's her native language. She also speaks Spanish. So we want to make sure the kids like learn the language. They, yeah, you know, that's fantastic. Uh, have a Brazilian connection too. So anyway, awesome. I, congratulations I, on that front. Thank because you. That's fantastic. And I still don't believe that story that you just happened to go back to Brazil and find them. But we'll make believe that was true. That sounds yeah. like something out of a movie. Well, and by the uh, way, when I went back, so I met her on the subway, like old school, actually 
walk up to someone and talk to them. But when I went yeah. back to Brazil, do you remember those days when you had to walk up to someone and talk to them? There you right? go. Yeah, there We're you old. Go. We had to do that. Exactly. But when I went to Brazil, it was social media that connected us because I put on Facebook that I was in Brazil and she was like, oh my God, this guy, I met him in New York four years ago. So she said, welcome to Brazil. I said, oh, how are you? And she said, do you remember? That's crazy. Of course. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like an old school meets new school. It's like a, we met in person. I'm certain very right. interested in her. We went out like one night and there was a mutual interest, but I think she thought it was like, no, how's this going to happen here in New York? I remember right. still. But then social media reconnected us. Yeah. Oh, that's an unbelievable story. We could probably have a podcast based on that. Right? We should get you on <laughs> another podcast that's a little larger than ours and just and talk about that story. So last question before we let you go. And again, we appreciate you being with us. So any words of wisdom to mm -hmm. anyone who's watching or listening? Because yeah. you've come so far, you've achieved so much. And just by watching you speak and how passionate you are when you speak about things you've accomplished and things you've done and how proud you are of everything that's happened in your life. What are some words of wisdom you can give to anyone, right? So kids that are currently in St. Joe's, kids that are in any high school, and then even adults, right? So yeah. there's got to be a couple of words of wisdom that that you still live by or that you could share with us that we'd appreciate to hear. Yeah. So a lot of people have asked me this down through the years. And I think you read my resume and you read these big schools and these big companies and these titles and all, it's all kind of like fancy stuff. And Someone may think, someone may think that there's some like magic formula or there's some special talent. Like maybe I just had this unbelievable IQ or maybe I was blessed with some kind of, and what I'm here to tell you is it's so much more simple than that. It's going to be probably what your parents or what your teachers have told you. It's all about how hard you want to work. Every, there is nothing that I've accomplished that came easy to me. Nothing like it could be my freshman being at St. Joe's being a freshman and doing a history test. I had to study like nothing. Right. It, I was never one of those. You hear people, oh, I didn't have to study for this or that was nothing. This was a piece of cake that yeah. I never had that in my life. Anytime I took the foot off the gas on something, I failed. And I'm only telling you guys about the fun stuff, right? right. There's I have 10 X, literally 10 times as many failures as successes that I'm telling you about. I didn't do well on my SAT the first time that I took it. I had to take it multiple times. I had to study really hard. I had a strong average in high school, but that's only because I was doing all the work. I was, I couldn't just like cram the night before and crank out an exam. When I went to graduate school, there's a, an exam called the GMAT. I was in Germany. I took the GMAT four times in order to get to a score that was more acceptable to Kellogg. If I stuck with my original score, I would have never gotten into a top, certainly not a top five score. I probably wouldn't have gotten into a top 20 score. And I could have to school. I could have given up on all the, so many people said, Matt, what are you doing? Why? You, some of it's just straight, literally like ignorance. Just, I will not stop. I'm going to keep running through this wall. You got to be a little crazy, a little bit insane. And just, it's all about like how hard you want to work and how bad you want it. It's not outsmarting someone or being more efficient or outmaneuvering. It's just all blood, sweat, and tears. I, I wish I had, I wish I had a, like something more like a magic bullet. I've tried like different quotes and words of wisdom, right. and it's not. It's just it, like that's tried and true. Do the work, right? Some you know, things will never change. Yeah, <laughs> there's no shortcuts. It's everything else. It's just like how bad you put something, how bad you want something, and what you're going to put into it. And when you don't do the work, you usually are not successful. It's really that simple. <laughs> so you that's can it. words of wisdom. 
student at St. Joe's can get into Harvard or West Point, you just got to put your mind to it. It might be 10 times harder than the person that had a general as a dad or someone at the board, but don't let those excuses stop, stop you from pursuing your dreams. So anyone listening or watching, be sure to like and subscribe to Viking Vibes, the St. Joseph by the Sea experience. Matt, we are so happy to have had you here. We appreciate it. And we hope that when you're, when you're back here, you come back and visit because I don't know if you've seen anything or when the last time you even thought of St. Joe's was, but they've done so much over at the building to transform. Yeah. They have huge new facilities they built out, the athletics. Remember, we played on a field that was terrible at best. At best, it was terrible. Now it's lights, it's at night, it's fantastic. They have a oh, student awesome. center. So we got to get you back when you're back in town to, to reconnect. But uh, thank you again for being here with us, and we appreciate your time. Yeah. No, thanks for having me, and let's stay in touch.